Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth, and thank you for joining me. We are done with the four books of the Gospels, but we're still in the New Testament because it's Saturday night. So, and since the red letters continue scantily as uh, throughout the Bible until we get to the book of Revelation, we're going to continue. We're going to continue with the book of Acts. Uh, chapter 1. It's the next book in the Bible, fifth book in the New Testament, the Acts of the Apostles. Um, and this time, because we've read this one before, uh, since as far as I knew, Jesus' message, the red letters only extended into this first chapter. And I didn't, um, and I sort of just glanced through the rest and didn't see any more red letters. So that's what we sort of stopped before in the <laughs> years that we've read the Gospels here on The Naked Truth. Um, but this time, God willing, we'll just go on and keep reading and see what happens to uh, the other disciples, uh, the disciples um, beyond uh, what we read in the Gospels this time, God willing. So we'll see. Beginning with verse 1, if you want to read along with me, it's Acts chapter 1, verse 1 former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. So this is sort of like a salutation of greeting for a letter. And if I remember right, um, this is Luke, the same um, scribe or person uh, accredited with the book of Luke, my favorite book of the Gospels. Um, it's, uh, is, it's said to be the one who's also written this book of the Acts. And so, um, verse 2, until the day in which he was taken up after he threw the Holy Spirit, given commandments to the apostles, to the apostles whom he had chosen. So, um, Luke is uh, the person here, I'm just going to say the author, the writer, the scribe of Acts here is uh, greeting Theophilus could be a person, singular, but it could also, since it translates to uh, I think a group of theologians sort of are people who are sort of seeking religious thought. Um, it could also be addressed to more than one, depending on how um, it's intended or interpreted. Um, since both are speeches, I'm going to keep on moving with the message, since there are red letters included here, and I think regardless of who wrote it, it's the red letters that are important for us to focus on. So um, the, it's, this is a message of someone saying that they're giving their account of Jesus's activities throughout his ministry up until the time when he uh, basically said farewell to the apostles, the 12 disciples, verse 3, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So here we're being told that Jesus appeared to the disciples uh, for 40 days and gave them more, um, preached, uh, taught them more during that time after the crucifixion, after he has been resurrected verse 4 and being assembled together with them he commanded them not to depart from jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the father which he said you have heard from me so this is the introduction of the very few 
red letters of this chapter and of this book and of the rest of the Bible up until he gets revelation again, uh, where Jesus is speaking and he's saying, um, it seems reiterating something that was said before, because he's saying, it's something you have heard from me um, apparently before. Um, and what is it he's um, emphasizing again? Verse 5, where John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is letting us know a couple of things here. That um, the the um, arrival of, the fulfillment of, the, I don't know how to put it, the union of the Holy Spirit with us as Christians doesn't necessarily happen at the moment of baptism like it did with Jesus when it was something that was notable even to um, John the Baptist who did it where he saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus like a dove. It's not necessarily that way for everyone else because Jesus is making it clear here that the apostles themselves aren't even going to receive the Holy Spirit yet even though they were baptized um, when he's saying here where John truly baptized with water presumably they were baptized by John the Baptist <clears throat> excuse me verse 6 therefore when they had come together they asked him saying Lord will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel so sorry for the background noise the uh, disciples are asking Jesus about um, sort of like prophecies about what can they expect now that he's accomplished his ministry of giving them the gospel the message that God would have us know he's accomplished the crucifixion the suffering he endured before and during leading up to that and then uh, he's also accomplished the resurrection of uh, showing that there is life after death for believers, for us Christians, letting us know there is a path to life after um, life after what we see as death of the flesh. I will say it that way. Um, but that there is an afterlife, that there is a hereafter, because not everyone will die. And that's not just a statement of faith, of believing what Jesus says, that whoever lives and believes in him will never die. Not just that. But also the fact that as believers, there has to be a second coming. Uh, so when that happens, presumably there will be people alive to witness it. Verse 5, for, um, John truly baptized with water. But you okay, so we read that one. Verse 6, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, oh, so we read this one also. So they're asking him, asking Jesus about the um, state of affairs for the Jewish kingdom, because at this time they're being occupied, would be the most current way to say it, by the Roman authorities, the Caesar, and the spread of his kingdom at this time, at that time. So um, they're wondering, is this the time when um, uh, the kingdom will be overturned? Verse 7, and he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. So even though um, the Bible 
tells us in Genesis from the start, in chapter one, that the planets, the celestial bodies, the stars, the things in the sky were put there for times and seasons. Jesus is making it clear here. It's not for us to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. So there are certain things that aren't meant to be discovered by uh, the human human mind and understanding. There are meant to be some mysteries. I guess one obvious reason would be if people knew the exact date of the end, people would be as evil as they could. Up until then, I think people resist the urge to do the wrong thing every moment of every day as it is many times. At least it seems that way from some of the craziness we see uh, on a daily basis, at least here in the States. Verse 7, and he said to them, oh, we read that one, uh, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus is letting them know some things are meant to be a mystery still, and some things are only up to God's timing. Jesus let us know that also in the Gospels when it came to what we think of as the end or the second coming or um, the apocalypse. Jesus made it clear that that's something that God only knows, not even the angels, not Jesus, but God only knows when that is. So there are certain things that are just meant to be unknown to us. Um, but at the same time, Jesus is saying one of the things they can anticipate, and God willing, we all can anticipate as Christians, is the unity with the Holy Spirit in that moment when the Holy Spirit becomes I don't know how to think of it, I guess, fully engaged in, or we become fully aware or begin to become more aware of the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians. And and the Holy Spirit is revealed to us. I think that's what Jesus is also letting the disciples know, that um, they will receive power when the Holy Spirit is revealed to them as the Holy Spirit is revealed to them in their Christian journey. Um, and in part of their journey, it will include them being witnesses to Jesus and his ministry and what we have as the Gospels now. Um, in many places um, right there, Judea and Samaria, as we've read, as we've read before, those are sort of the two kingdoms, the capital of the two kingdoms, capitals of the two kingdoms. Actually, no, one is the capital of Samaria. Judea is just a separate kingdom itself, with Jerusalem as the capital. Um, but Jerusalem is sort of the capital for both of the kingdoms, or at least meant to be. Uh, but anyway, they're meant to be um, witnesses there. But also beyond there, Jesus is saying to the end of the earth, meaning even to modern times, 2023 and beyond, all times, the Gospels are witness, the red letters are our witness as Christians to how to please and find God. Verse 9, now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up 
and his power was see beyond their sight. So they're seeing all kinds of miracles. Not only is Jesus resurrected from the dead after they saw him die, his witness, his suffering, and his murder on the cross. Now they see him alive, and now they've seen him alive for weeks now, 40 days, and now they're even seeing him ascend. Um, um, sort of like Elijah did, although Elijah used um, or was taken away in a mechanical vehicle, Jesus is using his own power and ascending out of their sight. Um, verse 10, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. So, <clears throat> excuse me, in this moment, it seems out of nowhere, two people have appeared to them, it says, in white apparel. We can't assume that they're angels. They probably are, but we can't assume anything. What we're told is they're in white apparel. What about them? Verse 11, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So the, people, the two men who showed up on the scene there are giving a prophecy that in the same way that Jesus ascended, he will descend, meaning the second coming. Although many preachers will take that and twist it to make it say what it doesn't say. They'll say they'll make it say that the same place that Jesus ascended, meaning that just like he ascended from that spot, um, that area of Israel, Palestine, that he's gonna appear in that same spot. Not necessarily. That's not what it says. It simply says in the same way he left, that's the same way he's gonna come again. And Jesus didn't say it. Those aren't red letters. The red letters were just those couple of verses that we read earlier. And all of those weren't even red letters. But um, these aren't red letters. But it is one more prophecy wrapping up um, Jesus' ascension. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem. A Sabbath day's journey. Um, so now they've returned from the scene of the crime where Jesus was again murdered, I guess state-sanctioned murder, death penalty. Um, they've returned from all of that. Um, and it says Sabbath day's journey. I think that means it's a distance that's acceptable to travel on the Sabbath day because you aren't allowed to do any work on the Sabbath day. And I can't swear to you that that's what it means. Just guessing that's what it means. I don't know. You can look it up and find it for yourself, though, for sure. I'm sure. Um, but the point of it is uh, they've traveled and they've made it to this, um, <clears throat> excuse me, to Jerusalem um, from the Mount called Olivet. Excuse me. Verse 13, and when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. So, um, I don't recall someone named Bartholomew before. Um, that name sounds new as a disciple to me, but maybe it was mentioned before and I'm just forgetting. I thought there was a Nathaniel. Um, 
sure it was in Nathaniel, but I don't seem to see it Nathaniel mentioned here. And we know Judas Iscariot, uh, what happened to him later. Or at least it may even get into that. Actually, I guess this is the chapter that gets into that. So let's just keep reading. Verse 14, these all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So the disciples weren't alone any more than I believe, any more than they were alone at what we think of as the Last Supper. The 12 disciples, get to men they get mentioned by name, yes, but um, that's just patriarchy, I believe, that exists throughout the Bible. Um, but that doesn't mean that the women weren't present also, especially since the women were present, it seems, even at the moment of the arrest, and for sure at the crucifixion and the moments leading up to them. They didn't flee, cowardly flee, like all of the disciples did. Even though it's understandable, the women didn't. The women stood by Jesus' side bravely. Um, so I believe they were, were also at the so-called Last Supper, even though, some, again, some preachers will presume they weren't just because they weren't mentioned. Again, the entire Bible, for the most part, I should say, not entire, but the Bible, for the most part, is patriarchal. And like we said again and again, aside from the statements that Jesus says, the red letters, those are the only parts that aren't openly, genuinely, clearly sexist. Um, although much of the rest of the Bible is. Why that disciple isn't mentioned here, I don't know. Um, but verse 14, these all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So, sorry you read that already, read it again. Some Bibles eliminate the word and the words and supplication. The supplication is basically um, pleading with, I guess, God or um, their approach to God. Um, that's how I think of supplication. I actually think of it as prayer. Um, so I'm not sure what they mean when they say prayer. Let me just look and see. I mean, what they mean when they say supplication. Yeah, it actually does mean begging for, basically, humbly pleading for. So yeah, um, they're praying and pleading with God, basically together in unity so that much is good um let's see uh, with jesus mono and um his brothers also some some of his family are active in the first parts of the church being formed excuse me Verse 15, and in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, all together in a number of names of about 120, and said, so now Peter, Simon Peter, the disciple who was a fisherman, is addressing the disciples, um, and it's a crowd now, it's 120, so it's 10 times what it was when Jesus, um, 10 times the number that Jesus officially, 10 times the number that are officially named. So we have the 12 disciples uh, by name, but there's 120 all together. Um, let's see. 
And some Bibles will say um, of the brethren rather than of the disciples. But altogether, it's 120. I imagine that includes women, but I don't know. Let's see. Verse 16. Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke. Oh, yeah, there are women, too, because we saw that his mama was part of the crowd. Verse 16. Men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So Peter is calling to mind how Jesus was betrayed by Judas, one of the other twelve, one of the twelve disciples, and that's what kicked off the arrest and crucifixion. Um, that's what Peter here is calling to mind. Um, but calling to mind the fact that it was um, Scripture being fulfilled is what he's saying. Um, that the Holy Spirit inspired people in the past to make a statement in scripture and then that those statements were fulfilled with what happened to Jesus is what Peter is saying verse 17 for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry so he's saying what Jesus I'm sorry what Judas did was fulfillment of the prophecy that he would be the one uh, the friend who stabbed Jesus in the back basically Verse um, 18, now this man purchased the field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. So this is a parenthetical statement. You see it begins with parentheses, and it, it's combined with the next verse. So I'm going to keep reading before we go into what it means, what I think it means. Verse 19, and it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their own language, a keldama, that is field of blood. So this statement, verses 18 and 19, parenthetical, it seems to be saying that either Judas or someone else purchased a field, um, and that either Judas, if it's talking about Judas, Apparently, when Judas, Judas committed suicide, he hung himself, it said, in the Gospels. So apparently, when he was cut down, his body tumbled and was torn apart uh, into that field. If we're to believe that that's parenthetical statement of 18 and 19 referring to Judas, it could also be referring to someone else that purchased that field and that... Um, um, it was it got that name Akeldama because that person's body uh, tumbled and fell through it and their guts fell out as it's being described in verse 18 uh, and it got the name of Akeldama because of those events and for that reason and that that's and then maybe Judas is buried there maybe that's what's being said there I don't know could be either one Verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. So Peter here is saying that what happened to Judas is the fulfillment of verses from our scripture, from what we, scripture from the books of Psalms, 
verse chapter 69, verse 25. That's where the first uh, part of this quote is coming from. And then that's the part about his dwelling place being desolate and no one living in it. Um, and then the second part of Peter's statement in verse 20, 20 um, refers to, um, in the Greek, a word, episkopen, the same root word, I think, for episcopalian, which maybe is the root of that branch of the Christian religion, possibly, I don't know, could be. Um, but what's being said there is that Peter believes though that's the fulfillment of those verses in what happened to Judas, his suicide, his um, uh, burial, death, his demise, and the areas surrounding him. Verse 21, therefore of these men who've accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So now Peter is changing subject to, um, he's going to, explain more with verse 22 beginning from the baptism of john to that day when he was taken up from us one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection <clears throat> so this verse is telling us a couple of things that some time has passed between the ascension and this moment because he's saying um the day he was taken up from us so it wasn't just yesterday it was clearly some time has passed and he's saying here among the 120 that are among them there, men and women, somebody's got to take Judas's place since, you know, he killed himself. Um, and it has to be a witness of Jesus' ministry and of his resurrection for all time. So, verse 23. So they're basically having an election. Maybe that's where the idea of thought of the elect or election comes from. Um, so they're trying to see who's going to replace Judas. Verse 23, and they proposed to Joseph called Barsabas, whose surname Justice, and Matthias. So the two people they're proposing to replace Judas as a disciple, as an apostle, are uh, two people who, as far as I know, haven't been mentioned in the gospel or weren't mentioned in the gospels. At least they don't come to mind. Um, but apparently they've been present enough that they're um, who the apostles, the, the disciples are considering um, making one of them. Um, verse 24, and they pray and say, you, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show it to these two you've chosen. I'm just going to continue the prayer on verse 25, to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. So um, the prayer here, verse, or verse 24 and 25, is that they're asking God to show them which one God would have them replace Judas with. Um, let's see, and verse 26, and they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So they're asking God to make the choice, but they're uh, having a lottery. So it's an election and a lottery at the same time. They've chosen who, which two of the two, they've chosen two who they want. That's sort of the election. Um, 
But now they're having a lottery to see by chance, leaving it to God to choose who would actually be the chosen one to replace Judas Iscariot. Verse 26. And it's that, that's what casting lots is. And that can take many forms. It could be like flipping a coin, uh, drawing straws, uh, spinning a wheel. It can be lots of different things. In verse 26. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So um, they did their thing, cast their lots, said their prayer, and made a choice. The choice was made for it to be Matthias. So just like flipping a coin, Matthias was the chosen one. And now he's being numbered with the other 11. It's 11 because Judas is gone. Um, by a suicide, according to what the Gospels say, some other preachers will say uh, that it was something else, sinister, entirely possible, but that's not what it says. We just read it. So anyway, thanks for reading along with me. And I think since uh, one of the things that I just realized that I hadn't been doing since I uh, hadn't been having, you know, a fight is um, a, a scripture to help sort of uh, encourage for the day. So maybe now we'll include a scripture for the day, especially since we're venturing into books that don't have any red letters in them at all. We already knew our other daily readings aren't going to have red letters because they're from the old, what we call the Old Testament. But now that we're in the New Testament, parts that don't have any red letters either, it's like a wilderness. So maybe we'll start including uh, scripture and encouraging scripture red letter of the day. And the one for today is, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. That's Revelation 118. I think that's red letters. Um, so we're going to have a scripture for today when we read it after this one. Love you. See you next time. Thanks again. Peace be with you.